I don't think the Bible teaches complacency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think churches, some churches teach complacency. Okay. Um, and the thing is, right, God, God will always love us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So a lot of churches preach that and they say, look, as long as you're giving God some glory, you're doing enough. But Jesus said, you know, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, mm-hmm. deny yourself and follow me. So what Jesus is actually asking his disciples to do is to actually walk away from their life and to follow him, to give up everything. How's this, Marcus? I still look fat. Let's go. <laughs> Bro, you look good. You look good. Have you put on a little COVID weight? Oh, a, a, a little COVID weight. A little COVID <laughs> just, weight? Just a little. Um, I don't know. I haven't weighed myself for probably like a good year. Yeah. Maybe 15 kilos. Ooh. Just a guess. I weighed myself the other day. I'm actually 81. I competed. When I competed uh, in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I got... Um, I was 70, 75, I think was the weight category that I competed in. Um, I was doing a full carnivore diet and I think that shreds you, bro. I'm saying go on straight meat and those 15 kilos will disappear. (laughs) Oh, the carnivore diet. Mate, you must watch too much show, Rogan. (laughs) You see the episode with Sean Baker. Yes. Yes. That was was amazing that you know that uh, that episode. New Zealand... uh, he played for the All Blacks as well, though. Yeah. Well, um, I uh, did keto for a while, and that was probably when I was at my slimmest a couple of years ago. But I can't blame COVID for the extra weight because I, I started putting it on before COVID. Uh, <laughs> COVID became a good excuse to keep putting it on and not lose it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's um it lock, being locked inside. I think I think everyone sort of um it's eats a bit of junk food and mm. that. What's your go to? What's your go to? My go to. You know, I'm a sucker for this falafel shop around the road. You yeah. get a falafel wrap, chili hummus, garlic, the lot. And they do chips with a homemade garlic sauce. And I'm telling you, it's the bomb. Garlic sauce is the way to go. Yeah. Right? It's the way to go. Are we Are we going to have a game? I, I don't know what this board is doing um, <laughs> doing here, but we can have a game yeah. in, um, in, in the middle of the the podcast. If you're watching this, nothing's really changed. Um, rate us on Spotify because now you can give five stars and we're five stars and you don't want to drop us down. So if you're going to be a bit of a dick, don't rate us. But if you're watching this, we're in a new spot, man. And um, we have a face-to-face interview and it's a pleasure to have you on, man. And uh, having someone up from Melbourne, letting us know a little bit of the chaos that is going on down there. It's probably a good episode to, you know, start this um, this journey in this new spot. So thank you, loanoptions.ai, for holding us um, here, not holding us hostages, but hosting us here. Appreciate you guys. Go to loanoptions.ai slash 58 uh, for all your loan needs. And bro, I want to kick it off with you. The video that I clipped of you is my most viewed tweet. It's got a bit like, it had 1.6 million in like a couple of days. And now it's probably over 2 million. And uh, that's like, 
my biggest <laughs> tweet video that I've ever posted. And then, and then later on, uh, Joe Rogan started talking about you as well, which was, was, yeah, it, it, what was it like just having him like mention that situation and also what, what happened? What was running through your mind during, during the coffee incident? Maybe break us down what happened and then what you were going through and then your thoughts on Joe Rogan mentioning it. Yeah. So that was a very interesting clip and it went very viral. I don't think I've ever had anything go that viral before. I've seen a few different accounts uh, where it received more than a million views. And ultimately what was happening that day was Melbourne was going through the process of having weekly protests uh, right in the middle of a stage four lockdown. This is 2021. So it's our second round of getting the stage four lockdowns for a prolonged period. Uh, The police were doing everything they could to shut these protests down. And this one happened to be at my local park. So I thought what better thing to do than to grab a cup of coffee, go for a walk around, do a little live stream, say g'day to, you know, uh, my favourite boys in blue, Victoria Police, and um, (laughs) see what their crack is. So I got to the park, I'm walking around, and after a while, no real protest formed that day. Um, The police were all over the park, they were scattered everywhere, and they just started being really rude. Like I was told, hey, we've seen you walk around in a circle, that's not exercising. If you do not actually go for a walk all the way around the park, then we will arrest you and fine you. So that was like straight off the bat, the kind of uh, attitude I was getting from the police. And then shortly after they arrested somebody right near a pond. And this is, this is a place, by the way, where I do like my local walks mm. all the time. Like mm-hmm. it literally very close to where I live. And I just said, well, you know what? if the police are going to keep pulling me up and questioning me while I'm walking through my local park, I'm just going to, you know, give them a little bit of the gospel from the good book. So what would happen was about every 50 meters, the police were stopping me Mm -hmm. and there would be a group of six or seven and they would literally, one would question in front of you and ask, where do you live? Are you within your kilometer radius? What's your reason for being out today? You know, take you through the whole dance. Mm. And the other six police officers would literally circle you and like stand around you while they're doing your ID check. Like this is some pretty crazy stuff. We're talking Melbourne, Victoria, going for a walk at your local park. Mm. And this is the kind of treatment that you're getting. And it just so happened I wasn't wearing a mask and I had a cup of coffee in my hand. And so this police officer reaches over and um, says, have you got coffee? in that cup. And before I even got to open my mouth and say something, cause he said, can I check it? Before I even said anything, he already reached over to grab my cup and I said, oh yeah, sure. And he just picks it up, shakes it, gives it back to me. So I just said, you know, Jesus loves you, God bless, right? You know, just giving them a little bit of a, you know, nice Christian encouragement. And <laughs> it just ballooned because everyone got to see the absolute lunacy that we've been going through in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, <laughs> did you, did you like in the moment where you like, did this guy actually just shake my coffee cup to see if there's coffee in it? What if there wasn't coffee in it? I honestly thought at the time he was checking my coffee cup to make sure it wasn't alcohol or something. I, I, I actually, it, it didn't really click straight away. It didn't register. No, no, it was, um, <laughs> And I wasn't really sure how to feel about it. I kind of just laughed it off and just kept walking. Like I didn't even think twice about it. And then, you know, once I finished my live that day, there was, there was quite a few interactions I had with the police that day, mm. um, sharing the gospel with them, preaching to them. And I'm telling you, they do those ID checks quick when you start talking about Jesus. It was, uh, 
Oh, really? really interesting to see. But then it wasn't until after I'd finished live streaming and I come home and I'm chilling and I've seen people have started clipping it and posting it and other friends of mine sent this to me like, hey, hey, upload this, upload this. I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. And I watched it again. I was like, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> So yeah. it wasn't until afterwards, like after the fact, I think there was maybe a little bit of adrenaline, you know, cops coming in, communist style, like, yo, you're within your 5Ks. What's your reason for being out today? Are you really exercising? Are you here to live stream a protest? Is it weird that that's be that became like the norm and people were so desensitized to it? And I think when that reached overseas, they were blown away from it. It's, it's literally a cop grabbing a coffee cup to check if there's coffee in it because it was a little, it was, there's no reason to check it. It's like, it's a little scrunched up or whatever the reason is that made him do that. A cop shouldn't even come close to, to acting in that manner in a Western society. So I think when it reached overseas, it, it just, it just blew up in a, in a way that it showed the level of craziness that was happening in Australia. And when you saw Joe Rogan speak about it, where you're like, did, did you know you've, you've watched his podcast and that? Yeah. Or yeah, nah? absolutely. And um, you know, it's funny. It bring, it's brought up with Tim Dillon. Cause like two of those guys, they're like Joe Rogan and Tim Dillon is probably my favorite podcast to listen to. Cause they've done quite a few together. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, you mean them together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Tim gotcha. Dillon's podcast is really good too. He's hilarious. Um, so then to see them actually talking about this clip, someone just messaged me like, did you know your clip was on Joe Rogan? I thought, what? Anyways, I saw the clip and the first thing I thought in my head was like, he called me a lady. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he called me right. a lady. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, Joe Rogan. What are you doing, mate? What are you doing? Get amongst it. Get amongst with the times. So uh, Tim Dillon just got swatted, didn't he? I no, I think that was Tim Pool. Tim Pool. Yeah, that's different right. guy. That's right. Skinnier, um, better looking. Not um, as funny. Not as funny. Yeah. Yes. 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 I, I recall. I recall. Yeah. It, it was. How how was that? It, it was. Um, were you like shocked that your he it's reached you know, the biggest media platform in the world. Cause really now he's, he's out doing CNN, he's out doing Fox and, and he gets ridiculous views these days and listens like it's over, I think it's over like 500 million a month, which is absolutely out of this world. I can't even like fathom that. That's insane. <laughs> it's madness, man. So you said just before that, when you preach the gospel to the police, they sort of want to jot your information quicker. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, it just seems to be this thing where you start talking about Jesus and people get very, very uncomfortable very quickly. Interesting. And I mean, from, for me, I mean, I, I believe it's because it resonates in their soul because to me, it's the truth. That is, that is what mm. truth is, right? That Jesus is God. He's a son of God. Um, and so, that resonates deep inside of people's soul. Our, our soul recognizes that because we come from God. And so for some people that they'll take upon those words and it'll become life. But for others, they get really uncomfortable because it starts stirring up conviction. And what, what you'll notice is, is that like people won't get that level of uncomfortable if you talk about any other God, mm. you talk about Allah, talk about any of the Hindu gods. You can talk about Buddha, being a Krishna, anything. And people just like, oh, God, that's kind of interesting. Or, you know, you might be like, you know, like yourself, you're like, yo, I'm a stoic. And people are like, yeah, stoics are cool. And it's like, what about you? It's like, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's like, 
get away from me. Why is that? It brings about conviction because Jesus is probably the most controversial figure to have ever walked this earth. Uh, he's probably changed, like the, he's changed the world in a way that, you know, no one else has ever been able to have an impact like he has. Mm-hmm. And so he's had a very significant impact on the world. He's had a very significant impact on society. I mean, like the whole Western society and culture initially is founded on biblical principles um, because I guess you, you'd say in one way or another, they were Christianized nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as well as that, there's a message of conviction that's brought about with Jesus. You know, in, in the gospels uh, of John, Jesus said, until I came, you know, they had no sin because they didn't know they sinned. Now I have come and they know they sin. Like they, they feel guilty. And it says the people will remain in darkness because if, when, the, when the light comes, when Jesus comes, who is the true light, it exposes their darkness and people want to walk away from that because they want to walk in their wickedness. Can you develop more of the preaching that you've done in Melbourne? How did you, <laughs> how did you start? Uh, I want, like, I want to, I want to dive deep into this. Okay. How, how did it start for you going down the path of Christianity? And you've also baptized a few people in Melbourne. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's start where it started for you down the path of Christianity. All right. Uh, I'll just give the context quickly as to what you're referring to. So um, recently here in Melbourne, uh, we did start a bit of an outdoor church. It's called Come As You Are. Mm-hmm. Um, every week we go out to different parks. We, we, we're not affiliated with any corporations or any organizations. Uh, the main purpose with this is because I guess in one way, shape or form, we don't really know if we can trust the current church institutions anymore. They didn't stand up for people. Uh, a lot of churches imposed mandates for certain medications in order to enter their buildings um, due to government restrictions. But as a Christian, even if the government says that, you know, you, it should never be a situation where it's no jab, no Jesus. Mm. Uh, and, you know, so we, we made a decision, you know, also seeing the way things are going that we, we need to start our own little thing. So a small team of me and a few other the believers that, you know, we're really tight with, we just decided, look, we're going to step away from the church and we're going to start our own thing outdoors. It's called come as you are. We want people to literally come as they are because God, pe- God meets people where they are at. Beautiful. Um, and we want to create sort of that environment where people can come and feel welcome. And we just go, we worship God, we pray, we share a word together. I wouldn't say what I'm doing there necessarily is preaching. Like we, we will share a chapter of scripture together mm-hmm. and then kind of break it down and have a conversation, breaking it down as a way to share the word. But the whole idea is, you know, Jesus said, go out and make disciples. And so we're trying to disciple each other. It says iron sharpens iron. So we're trying to, um, you know, work off each other to become more and more like Christ, which is, which is part of the Christian walk. And a lot of what happens in churches these days is the apex of people's Christianity is going to church on Sunday, being a good Christian for an hour, and then inviting all your friends to church on Sunday and then hoping that they do the same. Um, and that doesn't mean all churches don't have good discipleship, but a lot of churches, they lack good discipleship, especially bigger churches because people just kind of get lost Um in the sea of all the people that are going there. So that, that, that's kind of what we've started doing just to give a bit of context as to um, mm. what you mean when you say we're doing preaching now. And uh, making, making, making more disciples is in Psalms. So when, when I say making disciples, it's more, so the, the Christian walk is to become more like Christ. Yes. And ultimately being a disciple, that's what being a disciple is. You're becoming more like Christ and you're doing his ministry. Jesus empowered all his believers to do his ministry after he died on the cross and rose again, mm-hmm. um, he gave his 
he gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples. They already had it. But then on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So as a born again believer, you've been born of the spirit, mm-hmm. now filled with God's Holy Spirit. And that's to empower you to do the exact same ministry that Jesus did, which was to preach the gospel, which is repent, mm-hmm. turn away from your wickedness. Mm-hmm. It is to make disciples and it is to do the other miraculous things that Jesus did, like healing the sick, like casting demons out of people, right? These are not things that are necessarily reserved for somebody that's made it through a church structure. This is what the Holy Spirit empowers believers to do. Now, should there be some form of maybe supervision for these things? Like, yeah, of course, you know, everything needs to be done reasonably, but every single believer has been given the Holy Spirit and not every single believer, I feel, recognizes the power and authority that comes with that. And so in discipling each other, we're trying to, you know, help each other recognize, hey, like you have God's spirit living inside of you. Yeah. Okay. And what does that mean to walk with God's spirit living inside of you? You know, it's called the Holy Spirit. So part of that is to walk holy, live holy. The more we die to our flesh, the more the Christ inside of us, the spirit that lives inside of us is able to operate. Um, and then as well as that, um, when you're living in the spirit, you're, you're walking away from the things of the flesh, okay. right? And ultimately you're working to, to produce the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, mm-hmm. right? So those are the fruits of the spirit. And above all, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us was to love. So first it was love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Mm-hmm. And then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it says, you can go on all this walk. You can have all the gifts. You can do all these miracles, right? But if you do not have love, you are nothing. You are just a loud clashing symbol. So ultimately the biggest thing that we are called to do is to love above all. Do you think the Bible teaches a bit, and I want to get to, uh, to how you started down the Christianity route, but do you think the, the way that the Bible teaches, teaches a bit of complacency in defense? I don't think the Bible teaches complacency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think churches, some churches teach complacency. Okay. Um, and the thing is, right, God God will always love us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So a lot of churches preach that and they say, look, as long as you're giving God some glory, you're doing enough. But Jesus said, you know, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, mm-hmm. deny yourself and follow me. So what Jesus is actually asking his disciples to do is to actually walk away from their life and to follow him, to give up everything. Do you like when you, when you come to the disciples, like um, what are we, what's going on here guys? Okay. Okay. All right, we gotta put so we gotta put the 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 um I've got Zach, that's fine. We've got the table, I don't have you closer. Yeah. All right, so do we have sorry man. Do we have um Technical difficulties. Yeah, we're getting, we got some technical difficulties here. Hold on. Um, in that, 
Uh, we just got a little technical difficulties with the boys. It's a new studio, right? We're getting we're getting sorted. You know why this is happening? Why? We didn't bring the horse in. The, yeah, you wanted to bring the horse in, eh? <laughs> we're gonna take a photo with the horse. Yeah. Like we're definitely gonna that's gonna be the 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 staple of the of of the photos of the podcast. It's a mad horse, huh? <laughs> It's a great horse. Is it is a good horse? Um, the, actually, um, year of the horse is um, is is apparently the year I was born in. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. I don't really understand all of that. Neither do I. Do you know how? Um, do you know how Christians won? What do you mean when you say how they won? Period. Like you know how there's been many um, uh, belief systems. Mm-hmm. And each of these belief systems had different understanding of time periods, mm-hmm. but where each belief system sits in the year 2022, mm. and we operate from, you know, when Jesus died, it's after AD and BC, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, before Christ and it's it's not, um, I always forget it, but living in that system means that all other traditions and all other systems that were in place have come and fit into that system. Mm. So in that way, every system is based off a Christian system. Yeah, well, I guess what, what more or less what you're saying here is the, the way that we actually count the years is literally Christ came and split yeah. the way that we count the years. That's how significant his life was in terms of history. Yeah. Like we have, we have before Christ and then it used to be AC after Christ, but now it's AD, I think after Dominion. Yes, which, that's, yeah. Which, I mean, guess what? I mean, that's, <laughs> he, he has full dominion. He rules over all. Um, and the idea was when he died on the cross, he defeated sin and death then and there. He already, he already won. That was, that was a victory secured in the bag. Now it's just a ticking time bomb until the ultimate day of judgment. It's interesting that also uh, the Muslim belief believe that Jesus is also uh, coming back. He's also spoken the most in the Quran more than Muhammad as well. I find that interesting. I find that... The Abrahamic faith is the biggest faith, um, yet it's the most divided uh, faith. And I can't really grasp my head around that too much. So a lot of um, religions and a lot of spiritual people, they can't get away from Jesus, right? Almost all of them acknowledge him in some way, shape or form. But the one thing that you're going to find in the Bible and in Christianity that you won't find in any other worldview or religion um, is Christ's death, his burial and his resurrection. So in the Quran, Christ is referred to as merely a prophet. There's, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no divinity there. He was a prophet sent from God and he was nothing more than a messenger. In the Quran, Christ never died on a cross. They say that Judas died on a cross and that Christ actually um, never died and that he um, ascended to heaven, basically. Now, where that becomes a bit of a pivotal issue and why there is such a divide between um, Christianity and Islam is if you take away Jesus's death and his resurrection, you no longer have the gospel. The whole purpose of that was Christ died. 
and he took on God's wrath for our sins. Mm. He rose again, defeating sin and death. And in his resurrection, he was showing us that you too one day will be resurrected, right? Mm. If you take away him dying on the cross for our sins, then you have no gospel. You have no sacrifice for your sins and therefore you're still worthy of God's judgment and his punishment for your sins. And um, I believe also the Jehovah Jehovah Witnesses um, take away this whole act of Jesus dying on a cross. I believe they say he died on a stake. Um, And and you'll find this throughout other religions. A lot of religions try to remove the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins because that, that is essentially the core message of the gospel. Without that, you, you literally have nothing. And then you've got no sacrifice for your sins. And then you're basically um, left to face God on judgment day um, and to give an account for your life. I mean, we still all have to give an account for our life on judgment day, but without Jesus' death on the cross, there's no sacrifice for your sins. The debt hasn't been paid. Mm-hmm. And then therefore you're going to have to be punished for your sins. What are your thoughts on Enoch. He's an interesting guy. Um, he's, it, he's very similar to uh, Jesus, apart from the fact that he didn't die. He just straight ascended to heaven as the best human. He gets about two or three verses in the Bible where, yeah. it, where it literally says, um, you know, he had some children. Then he walked with God for 365 years. And then he was no more because God took him. Yeah. And he's across all three. So he's across Old Testament, New Testament and the Quran. Mm. Except the Quran says him in a in a different different name. I find Enoch really interesting because the shape of Enoch and the uh, translation that Enoch became Metatron, the geometrical shape of Metatron, Metatron is um is the shape that fits every single um uh, every single geometry, it fits the chakras. It fits everything in that particular particular shape. So I find Enoch and his books that you know it was taken out of the Bible. I find him such an interesting character because he's the only character in existence that isn't really talked about. But he's the closest possible to Jesus, and he came before Jesus. But we really give him no light at all. Mm. And he certainly is an interesting um, person in that respect. And I, I, I have some familiarity with the Book of Enoch. I haven't read through all of it. Uh, I. I'm not necessarily sure that it was necessarily taken out of the text, but I, I do know the books of Enoch were located with the biblical text. And a lot of people that have studied the Enoch text say that it does help to paint a bit of a complete picture with the Bible um, because there's a lot in the text of Enoch that have to do with the, the end time prophecies and it helps kind of draw those all together and, and, and paint this nice little picture. Uh, but I, I don't know enough personally to, I guess, start talking about Enoch off the top of my head here. Do you know what I, uh, like, what I also love about Christianity, and I do want to get back to how you started down the path of Christianity, is that spirituality and all these new forms of um, uh, ideologies. You mean the new age? Is that what it's called? The we new call, age? We call, yeah, it's the new age is essentially like this blending of spiritualities and like, I'm going to take the good of every religion. I'm going to practice this, practice that, practice this, practice that. Um, and 
yeah, basically that's just what we refer to with the new age. They're just trying to say like, I, I, I want to do all spirituality. And pagan religions, right, that believe more than every single religion be, besides the Abrahamic faith is a pagan religion, right? The Egyptians, the pagans, the Hindus, pagans, majority, anything that believes in more than one God is a pagan. Then the Abrahamic faith came in and um, that that uh, faith essentially um, rose and then things were happening and then Jesus came in and sort of uh, uh, died for the sins that were occurring at that time. All of these, all of these religions, uh, all of these uh, faith systems don't have the only thing that they're lacking, which I find brilliant about Christianity. And I, I think there's a purpose to it is that it's the only faith that talks about the future in a way that it does. There's a bit in the Bible that says that God was, um, he was upset with what was going on. And then he uh, said that humans will live to 120 years. And that's such a specific number. And it's true, like humans don't really live past 120 years. And that was written so long ago. And it's also interesting how it's the only face that tells you that, you know, the the mark of the beast. It talks about these future things so long ago where no other faith really touches on it. And I find that so fascinating. Mm. And when you, when you started down, down Christianity, what was it? Was it, was it from a, a like dark place? Was it from a, you were always on that journey from friends and family or where did you find your faith? And did you always have faith or what's the difference between faith and belief? Mm, now that's, that's a very, very good um, distinction there. This distinction of faith and belief. And I, I think that'll tie in nicely with, I guess, a bit of my journey. So uh, I, I was brought up in a household, a Christian household and Really what happens when you grow up in a Christian household is you want nothing to do with it. Mm. Um, early on, you know, you're, you're taught uh, this, this is, this is this thing and we believe in God and this is what he did for us. And you're like, okay, that's cool. And you know, you kind of go along with it and you're like, all right, all right. And then as you grow up, um, th- it's like this thing happens where there's this instinct to rebel and you don't really want to follow it. And then you see everybody else around you, you know, doing things that your parents told you was sin and you'll go to hell if you do that. Mm. And you kind of just, oh, well, really? Is it really that bad? You know, and like he's out doing that or why can't I do that? And this and that. So it just becomes this thing where um, you, you don't really want to walk that way anymore. And so then basically I think I spent the earlier part of my teenage years a little bit sort of in there, but then kind of just seeping out of it. And, you know, Christianity ultimately is about a relationship with God. Like, you know, you, you're praying, you're speaking to God, uh, and I wasn't really probably actively doing that. And so faith is like belief in action. It's, it's you're actually doing actions that follow on from your beliefs, right? Mm. Without action, there, there's no faith. But in that sense, I don't think I ever truly lost belief in God. Uh, but there was definitely a time in my life as I got older, um, you know, essentially walking away from the faith, not really caring too much about it, you know, not going to church, not giving two hoots about the Bible, not really caring about how I was living. Mm. Um, or anything like that. And eventually I found myself in a place where I was definitely getting curious about God again. 
And I didn't want to find God through the Bible or through the Christian faith. I wanted to find God any other way. And when I look back at that, the way that I see that is I wanted to find God in a different way because I wanted to keep living um, a sinful life, a, a, a life that would be very contrary to how you were supposed to live by the Bible, right? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wanted to continue living in sin. Mm-hmm. I want. I, I wanted to keep justifying how I was living, um, but ultimately, in that journey, I found myself in a place where I realized that a lot of those things they weren't. I wasn't satisfied with them. Then you know they were making you depressed. Um, as well as that, you know, during those times, um, I had a lot of struggles with anxiety. That, that was a really big one for me. Uh, you know, like the, feel like you're having a heart attack so you take yourself into the, to the emergency room to go get an EKG because, you, you, you know, someone in their early 20s thinking they're having a heart attack. That's, that's not normal, right? No. But that's, that's anxiety. That's what that is. And so I was going through a lot of that. Um, I guess as well, you know, depression kind of sinks in, you know, depression, anxiety, they go hand in hand. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you find yourself in that place, but then I'm still trying to, I'm still kind of curious about God. I'm kind of listening to a few preachers here and there, but I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in trying to actually look into, well, what do other people do? And kind of looking into a little bit of like some of the new agey stuff. And, you know, um, some of the stuff I got really big on was more like, um, philosophy and psychology. So I was getting mm-hmm. really stuck into um, Carl Jung for a while. I was like, Ooh, this guy, this guy, he kind of like spoke to me in a way. And he's, he's a little bit of a mystic and he's an interesting character. He's amazing. Oh yeah. He, he's a very brilliant mind, um, Carl Jung. But ultimately I found myself down this path where I was just like, I, I don't know what to, what to believe anymore. Mad anxiety on the daily. Um, didn't feel good about myself at all. And it was like at one point where mentally I really felt like I was at my lowest, like alone, depressed, anxious, not sure what my direction in life is. Um, And this is, this is a hard thing to kind of explain, but it was like a whisper in my ear and it just said, are you ready to follow me now? And I think that night I I like completely just broke down in tears, like Mm. (laughs) went to my room and I I just started praying and it clicked like the moment, like that, are you ready to follow me now? It clicked as like, Jesus, of course it's Jesus. It it, it just, everything just made sense then and there. Um, And that's what kind of got me back on the journey into Christianity. And, you know, since then um, I've wanted to kind of walk away um, I've, I've, I've had my, my falling back into um, sinful lifestyles um, during this journey, but God does this thing where he refines you over time. Mm. He takes certain things away from you. So, you know, early on, the, the first thing I realized he changed was like my heart posture, how I thought about people. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's a Bible verse that says like, capture all your thoughts and make it obedient to Christ. And I would literally be catching myself thinking poorly or badly about a person and like literally just I'd snatch it and be like, no. Like put that to bed, right? Because, you know, we're, we're all, I guess, in, in some way, shape or form, we all come from God. We all have this sense of divinity within us, right? And so now it's like, I need to start mutually respecting my brothers and sisters. So yeah. the first thing that changed was my heart. Mm. And then as time went on, he started stripping back the layers, peeling back the layers and taking other things away from me. Um, and, you know, that, that, that's a journey that takes time. And that's a journey that you will continue going on throughout your walk as a believer and in, in the way it's described in the Bible is, um, and I've only, you know, it's funny cause I've been living this lifestyle 
like of the Christian lifestyle for a while. And it's only just recently um, the passages of John 15 has really been speaking to me. And I've read through this, you know, before, but it's only been like the last year or so. It's, it's really been understanding me. And it's this thing that says that like Christ is the vine. God, the father is the vine dresser and we are the branches. And if we allow him, every branch that does not bear good fruit, he prunes, he cuts it away. And in, in, a way, in a way, that's a painful process, whether that's taking certain people out of your life because they're negative and they're toxic and they shouldn't be there, which he definitely did, or whether that's walking away from certain things that aren't producing good fruit. Mm. Um, you know, like let's say going out partying, drinking, you know, all that, other, all that other stuff is not producing good fruit. And what he does is he grows all the branches inside of you that bears good fruit, which would be the fruits of the spirit that I listed earlier. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, then he will continue to do this process. And abiding in him is to walk in his commandments. And then if the context it gives there is, and this is a commandment that I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very deep love because the way, the way he loved us was he died for us. That's a sacrificial love. And he died for us knowing, died for all of us knowing that not everyone is going to accept that, right? So it was unconditional and it was sacrificial. That's a very, very deep form of love that I think truly you can only really begin to embrace that and walk in that love if you do walk with God. Did you ever have sleep paralysis when that like occurred? Have you had sleep paralysis? Yes. And when you were going through, like coming, you know, in when you heard those words, that night and you burst out to tears that night did you or that week did you start getting uh, sleep paralysis at all i can't necessarily recall if it happened that week but i know that um i've had bouts of sleep paralysis um at certain times in my life um and i believe that most all most of it if not all of it is some form of demonic attack because everyone I know that's, that's had sleep paralysis that I've said, when that happens, just say the name of Jesus. They all say it ends the moment they can say his name. Um, and so I used to have it quite frequently um, for some time. It went away. And this last year, so I was about to say this year in 2022, a good year. <laughs> but um. In 2021 was when I really started like firing up in my walk, like wanting to get closer and closer to God and really starting to put behind like as much of my sins as I possibly could. Cause I just wanted, I just wanted more of God. And like my desire for those things was going, it wasn't even that I needed to put them aside. It was like, I no longer wanted to do those things. Yeah. So it's like the internal change. And as I was going through that process of going deeper and deeper in God, those attacks started happening very frequently. So I was having some relatively frequent um, sleep paralysis attacks. Um, but then, and you know, they would end at the name of Jesus. But then one night it was, it was like something was choking me. Like, uh, and like I woke up and I could still feel it choking me, but I could move my whole body, but like not my neck. And I tried to open my mouth, but my mouth was like sealed shut, mm. right? And I was, and in my mind, I'm like, the moment I open my mouth, like you are done. Like I, I, I just knew it was demonic, but then it kind of stopped and I kind of like fell back into sleep. And then this happened like three times until finally the third time after a bit of a wrestle, I could finally open my mouth and I was like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I command you to get out. And then it was literally like something left me when I said that. 
truth. And now what I understand that to be is what we would call a deliverance, which is where there's been an expelling of a demon. So there was some unclean spirit that had entered me through my past life and my past sins. And now that I'm trying to give God all the glory, it's, it's probably sick of being there. So it was, it was almost like it was giving me a tip off that it was there. That's how frequent these attacks were. And in that moment, like I said, it was like after that, I like opened my mouth. I was like, ah, like this big breath. And it's like, you fe- I felt something like leave me. And uh, the reason why I say that is, is because I, I have been brought up in a Catholic faith. Mm. Uh, Brazil was uh, conquered by the Spanish. The Spanish gave um, the country of Brazil to the Portuguese. The Portuguese conquered it through Catholicism. Um, I moved... Like yours, I grew up in um, in in a household of a uh, Christian faith, which it was Catholicism, and then I moved away from it a little bit. And then last year, I started going to church again. And Ebony took us to Living Grace, amazing church here in Sydney. If anyone's in Sydney, definitely go check them out. Um, and I never in my life had sleep paralysis. And then I went there and then this is when I started hearing about sleep paralysis. So is it paralysis or paralysis? Paralysis. Paralysis. So I was speaking to Raf Fernandez and um, he recently um, has, you know, found his faith and he was getting sleep paralysis. I spoke to uh, Steph, his partner. She was getting it. Uh, Ebony was getting it. And then when I was in the church, people in the church uh, said that they had it. And I'd never had it at all. Didn't know what it was about. I'd, I was like, okay, so um, you guys are talking about this situation and, you, you know, you're sort of awake, but you're not. But you're sort of like, you can't move. And then when I started going to church, I, I had it and I kept having it that week when I, when, cause I started going to, um, discipleship, um, with Pastor Claude from Living Grace and, um, on Monday we'd go and, um, and, you know, get together and, and discuss the word and that whole week and further, I kept having it and then the church had a break and I'm yet to have it since. And so do you think if it is that when you get closer to faith and you get closer to God, you're going to find that? And for the people that is listening that has never had sleeping paralysis before, if they move closer to faith, should they not be worried? What is it like? Yeah. So that, that's a very good question. And one of the things that I think a lot of people will notice if they go on a Christian walk is the further you go with God, the more there is going to be spiritual attack. And when you're reading in the New Testament, um, you know, there's a lot to say about spiritual attacks. You know, um, Paul writes in the book of Ephesians about the armor of God. He says, you know, put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the attacks of the enemy, right? Um, in another passage in Second um, Corinthians, when writing to the church of Corinth, uh, he talks about how we we've been gifted weapons of warfare that are not carnal, they're not flesh, they're not of this world, but they're mighty for pulling down strongholds, right? And so what he's referring to is that we've, we've been given this weapon, which is the word of God, 
right? Mm-hmm. That we can tear, we can use to attack Satan's kingdom. So as you start walking deeper in your faith journey, now you've become open to the spiritual fight that's going on because there is a spiritual war that's happening around us. And essentially the battleground is your mind and the prize is your soul. Mm-hmm. So Satan and his army, they're after the human souls, right? Hell was made for Satan and his angels, but God needing to dish out judgment for sin will be using that place. And so Satan wants to take as many people as he possibly can to there. Why? Well, because he's jealous of us. He was in heaven. He was God's most perfect angel. He formed a rebellion against God. So he got expelled from heaven. Right then and there, his eternal fate was sealed, which is that eternal damnation, the hellfire. Now, we were made in God's image to have dominion over this earth, right? And then Satan deceives us. So humanity fell in that moment. And with the introduction of sin into this world, which was introduced by knowledge of good and evil. So now humans have actually a moral obligation to choose between what's good and what's evil. If you don't have a knowledge of good and evil, you can't sin. Now you have knowledge of good and evil, sin enters the world. And now we have a moral obligation as to how we act, right? So that's the fall of humanity in the book of Genesis. And because God still has grace and mercy upon us because we're his children and he loves us, right? That makes Satan mad, he's jealous. So his army is trying to take as many souls as they possibly can to hell. So while you're already walking in the world, while you're already on a path to destruction, because as Jesus said, broad is the path to destruction and many people are on it, but narrow is the path to life and very few will find it, okay? So a lot of people are on this broad path to destruction. Satan doesn't really need to do much, you know? He's already structured this world, this upside down world in a way that people are gonna walk themselves into hell. They're just gonna sleepwalk their way there because they're going to continue living a life for themselves, you know, a lot of, you know, think about what's going on as just as an example with like our selfie culture, right? It's a very much a narcissistic culture where everyone's always taking photos of themselves, idolizing themselves. And essentially when you go to other um, practices, spiritual practices like the new age, it's all about becoming a God. It's mm. not about worshiping God. It's about, no, you are God, mm. right? And that's the same lie that Satan told in the beginning to Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat of this fruit, you shall be like God. It's the same life from the beginning. And so he wants to puff up our ego so that we're all about ourselves. We don't care about others. We don't love others as Christ commanded us. We love ourselves. It's a very selfish world. So people have selfish ambitions, mm. right? And aside from that, you know, people live very, um, not just sinful lives, but also, you know, in some places, very poor lives, you know, and because of that, people fall into victimhood because, you know, they were never able to get ahead in life. And so a lot of people are just, sleepwalking their way through life and they're not on the narrow path to life that Jesus talks about. They're on the broad road to destruction. And so Satan doesn't really have to do a lot to keep you there. He's got the world set up in a way that people are already going that direction. So when you find the narrow path to life, he's going to do everything he can to try and draw you back. And if he knows he can't get you back, he will try to slow you down at the very least or he'll try to stop you from achieving what God's purpose in your life is. And so as people get deeper in their walk of faith, 
then they're going to be more privy to spiritual attacks. Now that doesn't mean you're constantly under spiritual attack, by the way. And that's why Paul says, you know, to armor up, to guard up. But a true Christian encounters demons, right? If you're truly walking with God, you will encounter demons. If you're a Christian and you've never encountered a demonic attack before, or you've never encountered demons before, then you got then maybe you got to start asking some questions like, what What are you actually doing for God? Are you just a are you just a one hour a week at sun, at at church on Sunday Christian, or are you actively walking this out in your daily life? Mm-hmm. Um, now, when it comes to the sleep paralysis side of things, so that's a demonic attack that happens um, in people's sleep. Um, there's, there's various spirits that are usually attributed to that, an incubus spirit, a succubus spirit, spiritual spouses. They're the more common spirits that are attributed to um, the actual sleep paralysis if you want to get into like the demonology of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, if you suffer from sleep paralysis, whether you believe in God or Jesus or not, just if you, if you have a sleep paralysis attack, just try the name of Jesus. You got nothing to lose. Because I'll, prob- I'll give you a 100% guarantee, you use the name of Jesus during a sleep paralysis attack, it will end because demons tremble at his name. Amazing. And you mentioned the hell of fire. Um, during baptism, I, find, I also, when I, when I was going down the path, I found it interesting that it's, it's, a, is it, it, it's attributed to something like fire, you're, you're burning, run me through baptism. You're talking about the baptism of fire? Yes. So what, why is it called the baptism of fire when you're, when you're baptized? Yeah, so there, there's essentially, initially baptism was a full immersion in water and it was a baptism of repentance. And you go through the gospels, John the Baptist baptized people in water for the repentance and the remission of their sins, right? And the symbology mm-hmm. is somebody goes into the water, they die to their old life and their sins, same way Christ died on the cross, and then they rise up. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbology of like a burial. Like you go into the water, you're buried with Christ, your sins are forgiven. So you come up washed clean. So that's a baptism in water. But John the Baptist says, I baptize you in water for the remission of sins, but there comes one after me who will baptize you in fire. Now that baptism in fire is a baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is where there is a filling or immersion of the Holy Spirit. So God's spirit, and now God is described as an all-consuming fire, right? His spirit and he's an all-consuming fire. So when you are born again and you believe, you're given the Holy Spirit, which is God's spirit. But the baptism, baptism means immersion. It's a full immersion in the Holy Spirit. So it's described as fire in the sense that there's a couple of things mm-hmm. that'll happen, right? Um, if there's areas in your life that need wrinkling and ironing out and you surrender to God and allow him to immerse you in his Holy Spirit, then it's fire. It purifies those things away from you, right? It, it, it burns away um, the chaff, you might say. Right, mm-hmm. but then, as well as that, because it's a fire, when what it's like an energetic, in in some sense, like God's spirit inside of you, it's a fire. It's roaring to go. Okay, if you, it, it's 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 kind of a hard thing to articulate. Um, and I'm just trying to find the right words here, but more or less, it's either going to burn away the bad from you, and it's going to empower the spirit of Christ within you. 
I understand like I understand where you're coming from. I just don't fully conceptualize it. And that's why I never I never really got why fire needed to be involved in, in baptism. Because you're immersing yourself in water, so you you're getting I guess you're um, drowning out the fires of hell to an extent. Um, I don't think that's why it's referred to as a baptism of fire. And I, I think more so that terminology just comes from when, G, when John the Baptist says, there comes one after me who will baptize you in fire being Jesus. Yeah. Because when you, when you believe in Jesus, um, you're given the Holy Spirit. And when you immerse yourself in the Holy Spirit, it's an all consuming fire. So like people will say when they're walking in their Christian walk and they're going out and they're doing these things, they'll say, I'm on fire. Like you, you feel like so alive in your spirit because you're walking on that path, that narrow path. Mm. And, and there's this feeling of being alive because you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. And it's a very awesome, powerful and mysterious thing as well in the way the Holy Spirit operates. And so in the book of Acts, when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Book of Acts. Sorry, that's what Acts. I when I said Psalm earlier on, I meant the Book of Acts and making like disciples and and everything. I meant the Book of Acts. Yeah. yeah. So the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, and they were filled, and miracles started taking place. So the first one was they spoke in they spoke in tongues. Yes. There's a lot of debate about this, but they spoke in tongues, and then everybody that was there, there were people representing representing from all different nations, heard people speaking and glorifying God in their own native language. And so that was like, whoa. And, they, and it was referred to as they had tongues of fire that rested upon their head. Mm. Yeah? yeah. And then as you go through the book of Acts, they would go up to people and they would say, okay, have you received the Holy Spirit? Right? Acts 19, just with a reference here, yep. Paul goes to these 12 men in Ephesus. Have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we don't know this Holy Spirit. And he says, well, what baptism have you received? They said, John's baptism, the baptism of sins, right? Mm. In the water. And he says, okay, well, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he laid hands on them, right? Yes. So when there's, when there's a laying of hands, there's an impartation, right, of the spirit. So someone who's filled with the spirit lays hands on somebody, then there's an impartation, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, it was like the whole, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it says they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. Yeah. Right? So it, it was like the Holy Spirit inside them was roaring to go. It's like, all right, let's go. Now all of a sudden they've got these gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues and prophecy. Those are two yes. gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Yes, to and the Gentiles. Yes, yep. yep. And so that's essentially um, because of, of that fire, right? They're now immersed in the Holy Spirit. So like, all right, let's go. Uh, and so, you know, I, I guess in, I wouldn't call myself a Pentecostal, but I've come from like a Pentecostal background. So, you know, they, they, th- this, is, this is how, you know, they operate. They're like, all right, let's do the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's lay hands on you. Mm-hmm. And y'all going to speak in tongues. Mm. And a lot of people debate the tongues issue and that, that'll take way too long to get into. But, you know, I, I, me personally, I believe in tongues. I pray in tongues. I didn't pray in tongues when somebody laid hands on me. It happened with me when I was praying alone to God in my bedroom. But that uh-huh. was something that was happening in the book of Acts when they yeah. laid hands on someone and baptized them with the Holy Spirit. Almost always in most of the accounts in the book of Acts, they then spoke in tongues. Yeah. Usually, usually, um, what I've what I've uh, come to understand is that uh, when there's a spiritual attack, um, some Pentecostals speak in tongues because um, you know it, it can't be understood, and it's only uh, understood by a connection with the person speaking it and direct to God. So then it relieves everything around them. That's that's what I understood about tongues. Is 
it would be a very uh, long discussion, the tongues itself, because there's also those that see when the Gentiles were there praying and a lot of them praying in the same room, essentially whispering. If you're coming in and you're seeing that people are praying in your head, in your own language, you would understand them to be saying a particular thing. So I think, uh, as you said, the discussion of the tongues thing will be a very long one that we could probably (laughs) break down in in future. And I'd love to, because I find that fascinating. And um, uh, Living Grace is a Pentecostal church as well. So um, Have you spoken tongues? I haven't yet. Okay. Um, I haven't spoken in tongues, but um, I've discussed it. And um, I'm still coming around to to under. There's a lot of things that I I still feel a little drawn back mm. um, about. For example, Peter himself. Um, there's there's things that draws me draws me back about. Um, uh, he you know betrayed Jesus about three times. Um, you know first for he. He assembled the Catholic Church itself, which is nothing wrong from the inception. Is um, it is you know it's helped spread the word, but for example, the story in Acts, we can, we can go to the story where um, those couples sold their house, and they were to give um, their full amount of money to to Peter and um, you know the the disciples, and he kept some of the money, he sold his house, he had his money, he still gave half of it to Peter. Mm. Then Peter found out. And then the way that the story is described is very interesting to me because he's in a room with Peter by themselves. And then when Peter goes, well, did you give? And then he's, then he, you know, finds out that he didn't. And then it like, the guy, the Holy Spirit kills the guy. Mm. And this is just being like honest and in discussion. The Holy Spirit kills the guy and then two other people walk in to grab his body out. And then he goes and speaks to his wife. And then what's interesting is that she's also in the room with Peter by themselves. And as soon as um, Peter, um, you know, asks her about it and then he finds out that she just lied for her husband he, she straight away dies and then two men come in and take her body away. Like, why would the Holy Spirit kill those two people in front of a disciple by himself in a room twice? Mm. So this, this is a very interesting uh, story and it's, it's one of the most confronting stories you'll probably come across in the actual New Testament um, and so the story is about um, Ananias and what was the name of his wife again? So we've got Ananias and essentially what, what happens is they, him and his wife are Sapphira. Sapphira, that's Sapphira. it. Yep, yes, yep, yep. yes. Um, so essentially what happens is, you know, all the disciples are coming together, they're selling all their possessions um, because, you know, they're being hunted down by the government, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, they they've they're the outcasts of society. So they're selling all their possessions. They bring them together so they can not only live um, um, with all their, all the wealth they have, but also so they can help the others out there. You know, they, they were very much about, you know, helping the orphans and the widows and everything else. Now the, the sin that Ananias committed was not actually um, keeping back part of the money, 
But what he did was he lied about the amount of money he gave as being the full sum of what he sold the possession for. And so Peter confronts him um, and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And so he then goes on to say, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And that's the moment when Ananias drops dead, according to the story. And so his sin wasn't that he kept back the money or necessarily that he told a lie, but he said, you tried to lie to God. Like you cannot lie to God. And I'm not sure that this is necessarily what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, but Jesus refers to an unpardonable sin. He says, you cannot blaspheme against the Holy Spirit or speak against the Holy Spirit. So in this instance is what we're seeing here, Ananias speaking against the Holy Spirit, trying to lie to his fellow brother, who's also, you know, at this point, you know, it's after Pentecost, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's trying to lie to his brother here, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at that moment, he drops dead. And then the wife, not knowing what has happened, has tried to cover for him and say the same story. Yes, we gave all the portion of the land. And then, you know, um, Yes, Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And yeah. then she passes away. And then they come to carry her out. Yeah. So you t- I find it interesting that it, was, it wasn't like he could have had a conversation to God by himself. And I find it interesting that it's only Peter in the room. Because they come in to to take them away, you'll find these uh, these two men, young men, at the door. Um, they will come and take you out. So I find it, I find Peter very interesting. Um, he he, you know, as I said before, he's he he did Jesus himself wrong three times, mm. and uh, you know, in that story, I find it interesting that it's him by himself in that room, and. Uh, the, the lying to God, they could have spoken to God by themselves directly. Mm. So I find, I find that very interesting as well. And speaking in tongues, why when you couldn't speak, right, didn't you try tongues? Because that's how um, a lot of uh, Pentecostals say if they can't sort of speak in the, the English language or whatever language that they do speak, they go for tongues. Why wasn't your default tongues? Why was your default waiting till you can speak in the name of Jesus? Okay. I mean, for me, if I'm, if I'm under spiritual attack, tongues isn't my go-to because okay. if I'm under spiritual attack, my awareness is that usually there is some evil spirit that is around me. If they can't understand the tongues, right? They're going to understand my human language, English. And so I'm going to tell it in English, get out of here in the name of Jesus. Mm. And it's going to flee. Right. Um, and also in, in that attack, I couldn't actually open my mouth. So I, I couldn't actually get any syllables out of my mouth for quite some time. It took three attempts of like going to sleep and waking back up mm. um, for that to finally come to a point where I could actually finally open my mouth, say the words, tell it to get lost and come to that point. Um, so that, that's why I defaulted to that. Going back just quickly though, to this story, I think yeah. one of the things in this story is we got to understand that like the God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament. And he was not somebody 
to be fooled around with, okay? Mm -hmm. He's a very serious God. Um, And so I think part of this story is to try to illustrate the fact that one, we cannot lie to God. That's impossible. He Mm -hmm. knows all, right? Yeah. Um, And the second point is that if you you try to like lie to God, good luck. You, You can't, you won't. And- in the Old Testament, you know, um, there's, there's, there's stories of, you know, how God dealt with people back then. And, you know, he's got, a, he's got, we're in a time where he's got a lot of grace and he shows a lot of mercy, but there's still consequences for people's actions ultimately. And while Jesus died and forgave our sins, I even think though, even though he forgave our sins, we still have to live out the consequences of our sins and our actions um, God can still turn that around for our good, but there's going to probably come a time on this earthly life where you'll have to face the consequences of your sin. And that's and you'll find that through the um, Old Testament. There's this story of King David, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who was yeah. after God's own heart. He wrote the Psalms. Yeah. Yeah. And he committed a pretty bad sin. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but he sees this, le- he was supposed to be out at war. He wasn't. He was up on his rooftop and he saw a lady bathing from his rooftop. So he sends for his servants to call her up to him. Her name's um, Bathsheba. And he's told that he's, she's actually married to someone in his army, one of the mighty men of valor in his army. So someone well-respected of all these men. He brings her up, sleeps with her, and then he finds out she's gotten pregnant. So then Uriah, who was the guy that she was married to, comes back and David sends him back out to the front line, literally just to get killed because now she's pregnant with David's child. God then comes to tell David, you've done a wicked thing here because then David takes her as his wife, tries to patch it over, but God says, no, 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 you've done a wicked thing here. You had plenty. You already had plenty of wives. You had plenty of everything else. And you took from a man who had nothing. And the thing was God had already had a promise established with David so when God confronts him about his sin, he says, you will not die because the, his punishment should have been death. David should have died for the mm-hmm. sin he committed, but God's already had his promise with David. So he said, your punishment will be on the child that you have conceived with her. And so that child um, that he has with Bathsheba, this first one becomes very ill. And David, he fasts, he's crying out to God, I think for seven days, I might get this wrong, but I believe it's seven days. He's fasting, he's praying, he's crying out to God, like, please, please save my child. But no, the child dies. And that ultimately became the consequence that David had to suffer for that sin. And there was more as well, because there was more that happens with his other children later on. But God still, through the promise that he made to him, blesses him with another child to Bathsheba, who is actually Solomon, King Solomon. Mm who was the wisest person to ever live, wrote the Proverbs. He's attributed to writing the book of Ecclesiastes and also the Songs of Solomon. And so God still blesses David because of the promise he made him, but David had to suffer consequences for his actions. I could continue speaking to you for a very long time and I'm still learning a lot. And uh, as I go through my journey, um, I anchor myself in Stoicism, but I'm very much very, very Christian at heart. Um, And I'm still developing in the faith itself. And the more 
the more I go down, the more it you know it shows me that you know you need to you need to humble to the to the understandings of a lot of the teachings and before i let you go mm-hmm. um the when we discuss the the gentiles as as the chosen people to um spread the message um out because what what was really the story? Was it the story that it was rejected by the um, it was rejected by the Jewish tribunal sort of thing? So then they got the message from the Holy Spirit that you know the, to to give it to the Gentiles and the Gentiles essentially spread the message is what I, I believe um, the story goes. Is that right? Well, so. It's, in one sense, yes, the Jews rejected their Messiah. They rejected Jesus. Even though when Jesus walked the earth, he fulfilled um, almost all the prophecies of the Messiah, of, except for the future ones that he had to come, but he fulfilled all yeah. the prophecies from the Old Testament prophets that they had been studying frivolously throughout their whole lives. And even though he fulfilled all those prophecies, they rejected him as their Messiah because he wasn't the king that they were looking for. And they don't think they quite understood um, what his purpose was being there at that time. And so, you know, they were expecting, you know, like a warlord that was going to help them, you know, overthrow the Roman Empire because they were living under oppression. Instead, he came first as the lamb that was slain for the for the, for our sins, mm. right? And it's just interesting you say that because they used the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire didn't actually want to kill Jesus. Yes. And in fact, what actually happens is... Um, they went, Pontius Pilate said he didn't want to kill this man. He could find yeah. no fault with him. And so you have the story of he goes, all right, I'm going to let you release one prisoner, either Barnabas, the murderer, or Jesus, the innocent man. Who do you want to release? And they said, Barnabas. So he goes and he washes his hands and he says, his, Jesus's blood will not be on my hands. And the Jews said, his blood will be on our hands and for the generations to come. And what's interesting about this is the fact that even to this day, a lot of Jews not all Jews, but a lot of Jews, they can't get on board with Jesus. In fact, some of them, they, they really cringe if you say his name around them. And it's almost like as if when these people said that back then, it's like they've brought on some form of like a generational curse upon them. Like we rejected Jesus, so we're going to continue doing so. They're, they're, they're blinded to it. You can point out in the scriptures in the Old Testament so clearly how much they point to Jesus and they still, it's like there's blinders on their eyes. They don't want to see it. But when it comes to the apostles and the, like the initial disciples and the apostles and those who saw Christ risen, those were all Jews. And they went out preaching Christ's death, burial and resurrection to their deaths, to quite mm. horrific deaths mm. in the early ADs. Um, I think there's about 400 witnesses that had seen the risen Christ after his resurrection. And they, like I said, went to their deaths, died horrifically to spread the message of the gospel. But then the apostles also went out and they planted churches in the Gentile nations and instructed them to do as Jesus said, which was to continue to spread the message of the gospel. Mm. And so obviously there's still Jewish people spreading the gospel, but that they started planting the churches um, in those other nations, right? And Gentiles just meaning essentially anyone who wasn't a Jew. That's just the terminology that they had back then. Yeah. Um, because they were they were set apart people. They were living under a certain law um, to be set apart from everybody else. So the, everyone else referred to as Gentiles. So the church was established in Gentile nations and they were given um, the task of spreading the gospel to the whole world because Jesus died for not the Jews, 
He died for the whole world, the whole of humanity. And so they were then given the mission to send that message out there to the whole world. So in some, in some way, shape or form, yes, the Gentiles were, were given the, the duty to spread the gospel, but it was also the Jews that planted those churches mm. that got everything kicked off and going. I find it interesting that also in Acts, it says there's, there's a bit that the, the Holy Spirit says um, not to go and spread it to Asia at a certain point in time. Uh, I, I found that that was that was interesting to me, but that's a whole nother discussion <laughs> in itself and I don't want to break into that. Why 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 do also last lastly before I let you leave, why did um Raul turn into like why did he have a name change? No one else had a name change, but because he went against it and then you know he he um then found Jesus, he had a name change and the story like sort of switches with him. Are you talking about Saul when he becomes Paul? Yes. Sorry. Yes, Saul. Yes. Saul. Um, he's not the only person to have a name change. Oh, no? No. Um, Jacob became Israel. Okay. His name changed. Abraham became Abraham. So there are- um, there Why are Why the name changes? There are- There is significance- to the name changes. Um, I wouldn't be able to rule them off the top of my head, but I know when Abraham moving to Abraham, the reason his name changes because Abraham means a father of many nations, right? Yeah. Um, I can't quite remember the significance of the name Israel right now. Apologies there. Um, but also Saul becoming Paul, there, there's significance in the names and you, you'd have to go through and, and actually look at those. Um, okay. I wish I could tell you off the top of my head. but No, that's fine. It's, it's a weed. It's a, it's a um, yeah, a bit of a, <laughs> a left field question, but also there's um, also um, Peter. Um, Jesus says, "I'll call you Safer, meaning rock, because on this rock I will build my church." So people have their names changed in the Bible. God changes people's names when He's giving them a new assignment, and that's really um, prevalent in the Islamic faith. When you become Muslim, if you're um, you get a name. You get you get given a name. I find it. I find the names changing um, so so interesting, eh? And um, yeah, may, yeah. We'll need to keep that uh, a mark on that one for next time, um, brother. It's been a pleasure have you in, especially as the first guest in 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 this place. And um, yeah, hopefully it'll be many more. You're doing amazing work down in Melbourne. Um, so I want to commend you on that and tell them where to find you and the church. Where do you guys do it You in in Melbourne? where where can Is it every Sunday and what time is it? Uh, okay, so firstly, uh, you can find me at Running From Comfort. Uh, secondly, with the church. So the church is Come As You Are. If you go on Instagram and type at come underscore as underscore you underscore r underscore melb you'll see come as you are melb is the instagram page and it's every sunday um meeting at 10 30 for an 11 a.m start and we'll post the location um on the instagram and on the facebook page and also there's a telegram page uh we'll post the location out to um usually a day or two before 
Oh, cool. But usually around this Melbourne, general Melbourne area, we don't we don't usually go too far out. Yeah. Um, we try to stick to like sort of like more of the suburb areas. But, you know, we've been to places like Half Moon Bay Beach in Black Rock. We've gone to um, parks in Brunswick. We've been to parks in Footscray. We've been to the Royal Botanical Gardens. We, we kind of just like float around and it's cool. It's really, really awesome. I love it, my man. Appreciate you coming on, Zach. It's been a pleasure, my bro. And I can do handshakes because we're in studio. Ah, it's all, it's all, the arms falling, the arms falling for those listening. But yeah, no, it's been a pleasure having you on, my bro. And um, yeah, keep doing the good work. And um, yeah, hopefully have you up here in Sydney soon enough. Go follow him. Um, amazing running underscore from underscore comfort. That's the one. Beautiful. Cheers, brother. All right. Thank you.